before we move on to the next thing, I do want to introduce um, Rusik, who is here, who is speaking this morning. Rusik is uh, was formerly the senior pastor of Abundant Life in Wellington and uh, retired. How many years ago did you hand it over to Hamish? Eighth year. Eighth year. Eight years ago. Rusik uh, is an author of uh, Dare to Be a Disciple. He's also a uh, well-traveled speaker around the world and also a survivor of the Wahine disaster. So one of the people that survived that, and we thank God for that. Um, So it's fantastic to have you with us, and he's a great speaker, and he'll be with us speaking soon. So Jenny, I want to call Jenny up. Jenny's got a couple of poems to say. Um, This poem's called Both Sides of the Grave, and uh, I wanted to depict the blackness of the Friday and then the rebirth of hope on the Sunday. Those who are here on Friday will have heard the Friday side, but I need to say it again so that you can understand how different Sunday was for the disciples. Friday. This side of the grave brought confusion, despair, Who would have thought that their path would end here? The promise of hope now ended too soon, lying beaten and lifeless, encased in a tomb. This can't be the plan, their aching hearts cried. How can death and victory collide? What would become of the future they'd seen, now deathly silent, an impossible dream? And it seems to me when we don't understand the way God is working, the parts of his plan, we too get unsettled and our trust becomes frail. Assurances waver and our steady feet fail. But on this side of the grave, we have to learn that God is enduring his promises firm. He's working behind the immovable stone. He's never defeated. We're never alone. Sunday, the sadness and grief that had coursed through their veins gave way to expectancy that saw past the pain. Dare they believe it? Could it be true? The tomb was now empty and their dreams soared anew. Disillusion and turmoil invited to cease. Now indescribable joy, inexplicable peace. What once seemed impossible, the grave had concealed, now, at this moment, was fully revealed. And we too have to choose to look past the stone, to walk out our faith on pathways unknown. Understanding the tomb has God's presence within and holds all we need for new life to begin. Answers to why are not guaranteed. But on both sides of the grave, our hope can walk free. Okay, Rusik, would you like to come and speak? be great. How about we give Rusik a big hand as he comes? Can I, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. 
it's an absolute joy and a privilege to be here, especially on Easter Sunday. It's a great, great privilege uh, to be here with you again. And, uh, of course, many of you I met last time I was here in September, and it's good to be here with you again. And many of your leaders I've known for quite a f few years, and, of course, Dean and Gina, known them for many, many years while they were in Palmerston North. Amen. Now, just before I start, just two things. Uh, Dean has mentioned, I've got a few copies of my book on the table there if you're interested. Uh, please have a look at that. And also, I've I got a card for the prayer at Parliament. Bruce knows all about it and he supports it. If you're interested in it, please take it from him. We just had one in March and our speakers who made a contribution before we pray in groups of five was a former Governor-General of New Zealand. Sir Anand Satyanan spoke at our gathering and the topic I gave him, because he's been made the chair of the Royal Commission that looking into abuse of children in state institutions as well as uh, faith-based institutions. He is a Christian. I've known him for a little while. We've got lots of mutual friends, and he accepted the invitation to come and speak. So we had a great time. Then also Kim Workman, who has just made a night. He spent his lifetime with prison fellowship and, uh, and helping prisoners. He spoke as well. So we had some great speakers. I'm now working on the June one, on June the 13th. Judge Andrew Beecroft, who is the Children's Commissioner, he has already accepted to come and speak. So please come, pray for our nation, and that's great. Okay, so much for that, and now for our message. Of course, this is Resurrection Sunday, and I'm going to speak about the resurrection. I want to just commend to you something. Uh, one of the ways, the main way that I celebrate Easter, the main way, one of the main ways that I celebrate Easter is at least two or three weeks before Easter time, I get before God constantly and I go back on the scriptures about the resurrection, praying all the time, Lord, give me a deeper understanding of the ramifications of the resurrection. This event that took place 2,000 years ago Help us to understand in a deeper way the connection between what took place 2,000 years ago and us who live in the 21st century. So there's three questions we need to ask. And of course, we won't have the time to look into all of them. I'm just going to take the last part. One of it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did it happen? That's a question of history. That's a question of history, and that's not the one that I'm going to take today. But you see, we are the resurrection. Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If anybody could prove that the resurrection did not take place, then, uh, then Christianity is finished. Let me give to you just one quotation, one quotation in relation to this. Uh, uh, you know, if we are to prove the, re the resurrection of Jesus Christ... The only way we can do that is not by using a scientific method like repeating an experiment. That's an inappropriate method. We use what the kind of method that's used in the court where you produce evidence whether a thing took place or not. Now, just to give you this one quote. The evidence points unmistakably to the fact that on the third day, Jesus rose. 
This was the condition to which the former Chief Justice of England, Lord Darling, came. At a private dinner party, the talk turned to the truth of Christianity, and particularly to a certain book uh, 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 dealing with the resurrection. Placing his fingertips to together towards assuming a judicial attitude and speaking with a quiet emphasis that was extraordinarily impressive, he said, We as Christians are asked to take a very great deal on trust. The teachings, for example, in the miracles of Jesus. If we had to take all on trust, for one, I for one would, would be skeptical. The crux of the problem of whether Jesus was or was not what he, hap what, what, what he proclaimed himself to be most surely, must surely depend upon the truth or otherwise of the resurrection. On that great point, meaning the resurrection, we are not merely asked to have faith. It is favor as a living truth. There exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world would fail to bring a verdict that the resurrection story is true. I could give to you many, many quotations of great legal minds who have looked at the evidence and they say the resurrection did take place. So of course, we invite anybody to have a look at the evidence found in the scriptures. So, what did it happen? Did, the answer is, of course, it happened. Secondly, why it happened? Why it happened, only God can reveal that to us. Why is Jesus' death different from any other death? That he died for our sins. No other person died for our sins. Can you say an amen to that? So, his death is unique, which was celebrated on Friday. But his resurrection is unique as well. There's only been one person who has been raised from the dead never to die again. Lazarus was raised, Lazarus died. The widow of Nain's son was raised, he died. Jairus' daughter was raised, he died. Only one person ever in the history of humankind who'd been raised from the dead never to die again. That puts Jesus Christ in a category all by himself with no rivals, no successors, and no, you know, no contemporaries. Give the Lord a big clap offering. If we understand the uniqueness of Christ, it answers a lot of questions. So today I'm going to concentrate on this part. Okay, did it happen? It's a question of history. Why did it happen? It's a question of revelation theology. God must tell us why it happened, which the Bible does. The third thing is the one that I want to concern with. Even if it did happen, does it matter to us 2,000 years later? What's the connection? What's the relevance? It's a question of relevance. Why is it still important today? All right, so I want to turn with us, and if you've got your Bibles with you, to the great resurrection chapter. 1 Corinthians 13 is the great love chapter. 1 Corinthians 15 is the great resurrection chapter. All right, I'm going to read a few verses. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believe in vain. And then he says, For what I received I passed on to your first importance, that Christ died for our sins 
according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and the other people that he mentions, and finally to Paul. But what was happening in the Corinthian church, a wrong doctrine was creeping into the Corinthian church where people were saying, some people were saying, oh, there can never be such a thing as the resurrection. When people die, that's it. So this wrong doctrine was coming into the Corinthian church and the Apostle Paul writes chapter 15 to refute that. Are you with me? So he writes this to refute it. So he says, right, so to the people that said there was no resurrection, here are seven consequences. So I'm going to tell you the seven consequences if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then I'm going to turn it around and say, since Jesus has risen from the dead, here are seven consequences positively. Show the connections. Join the dots. So here he goes. Right, but if it be preached, verse 12, if it be preached that Christ has not been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, that even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, and so is your faith. More than that, uh, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have uh, we have said that God, that he raised him from the dead, but if he did not raise him from the dead, then we are, of course, false witnesses. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then uh, if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is without value and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in, the, in Christ are lost. And, and for in this life we have hope only. We are people to be pitied. So let me now spell it out to you, first of all in a negative way, and then in a positive way, seven ramifications if there was no resurrection, and then turn it around because there has been a resurrection. All right? So here it is. One, if there is no such thing as a resurrection, the first consequence is that Christ has not been raised. If the dead cannot be raised then Christ has not been raised. If that position is correct, I'm going to turn that around as, as because we know that he has raised. Here's the, second, here's the second point, all right? If Christ, first of all, Christ has been raised, and then if Christ has not been raised, number two, our preaching is futile. Why does that follow? If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then the answer to Ben's universal problem, sin, has got no solution. Are you with me? Jesus came to solve the, those pervasive universal problem of humankind, which the Bible says sin. That is our fundamental problem, and sin and death are related in that death is the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. So you see, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, and he didn't die for our sins, then there is no answer to the problem of sin. It still exists, and if it still exists, there is no good news. Are you with me? <coughs> the problem that started with Adam, he died. 
or everybody subsequently has died, and uh, you know, only one person has been raised from the dead. So what does it, we, we believe that. But if the dead are not raised again, then the problem of death remains unsolved. And the cause of death is sin. So why is this particular topic so relevant? I'll tell you why the gospel is so relevant today. I'm excited about this. Do you know what? Because as, the, as you read the scriptures over and over again, in a prayerful way, I tell you, it does something to your faith. It makes your faith robust, and you want to give yourself completely to the work of the Lord. Just like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, you know, Jesus began to expound from the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, that he was to die and to rise again. And when Jesus, Jesus disappeared, you know what it says? Didn't our heart burn within us? as he expounded the scripture. And I'm praying for this good kind of heartburn with every one of us, that our hearts are set ablaze because we meditate on the scriptures and the scriptures makes it real to us. You see, the reason why the gospel is so relevant today is because the, in the gospel is the answer to the problem of our sins. What is the gospel? Paul tells us Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. First part of the gospel, the Friday part. The Sunday part of the gospel, that God, Jesus was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. He died for our sins, Romans 4 tells us. He was raised again for our justification. Wipe the slate clean, stand before the judge. No charge sheet, it's been wiped clean and we can stand before the Lord is confidence because our future is secure. You see, the gospel is relevant because death is still with us today. Hallelujah. And nobody escapes that. So every if a person has any intelligence, he should make absolutely sure what happens after death. Can you say an amen to that? It's the most intelligent thing to do. You know, we plan for the future, we plan for our kids, we get insurance in case of certain calamities and all the rest of it. Oh, very good. What about insurance for the next life? Which only Jesus can give. The gospel is absolutely relevant in the 21st century because we have the answer to death. Jesus died for our sins, but his resurrection is the conquest of death and it's the conquest of sin. So, if Christ didn't rise again, then there is no gospel to preach. Because the heart of the gospel is, Jesus died for our sins, and he rose again. Are you with me? Because, you see, if Jesus didn't rise again, how would you know that the sacrifice of Jesus, of Jesus was effective? You wouldn't know that. Because everybody else dies. So how would you know that his death for our sins was effective. Because you remember, he was sentenced to, to capital punishment in the Sanhedrin court for blasphemy. They took it to Pilate, all right, the secular government. There they accused him of being another Caesar. You say, Caesar is Lord? These people say, Jesus is Lord. He tells us, and the force he said, these people are stopping us from not paying taxes to, uh, to Caesar, absolutely wrong. That's what they did when they accused him. So in the court of Sanhedrin, the religious court, 
Jesus was condemned for blasphemy. In Pilate's court, the Roman court, he was condemned for rebellion and sedition. So what did God do on Easter, first Easter Sunday? He overturned the verdict of the religious court and the court of Rome. He overturned it. And what's the best way to overturn the wrong verdict? Was to raise up Christ from the dead. What better proof can you have than to overturn the decision of the courts of the earth by the court of heaven? So there was an overturning. And the best way to overturn that is to raise this dead person to life again. <laughs> Hallelujah. How did we know? Some people said, oh, well, did Jesus die? Was he swooned? Well, all those theories have gone because you don't bury a person until he's dead. How do you know that he was raised? Because there were witnesses that saw him. They felt him. Thomas, who was absent when he appeared to the eleven, right? He said, unless I feel his sides, you know, I'm not going to believe. Well, he appeared the next week, right? Thomas, come and feel it. And how did it appear? Then Thomas respond, my Lord and my God. It wasn't an apparition. It was a bodily resurrection. A body that, of course, had gone through some transformation, but they could identify it. Okay, so let's get to the next one. If there's, Christ, if there's no resurrection from the dead, Christ hasn't been raised. Secondly, the preaching of the gospel is in vain. And the third part is that our believing is in vain. Preaching is one side of the coin. Believing is the, opposite, the other side of the coin. If you're preaching, you're expecting people to respond and to accept it and embrace it. So if our preaching, if there's no resurrection, then there's no gospel to believe. That's the thing. You can check me out. I've studied for hundreds of hours all these things, all right? So believing is in vain. Next one. Believing is vain. The next part after that is we are found to be false witnesses. Have you noticed when you read the book of Acts, you'll see this. It says, you crucified him. God raised him, and we are witnesses. It's in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. Over and over again, we have seen it for ourselves. One person might be in a mental state or something, that he might be seeing things that are not right. But hey, 500 people saw him at one time. One person saw him, two people saw him, 11 people saw him. Over a period of 40 days, people saw him in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. So you see, apostles, if there's no resurrection, the apostles are false witnesses, and they are breaking the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witnesses. Can you imagine somebody dying for something that there's believed was not true. And most of the apostles paid with their lives. Would they be prepared to pay with their lives if it was a, a, it was a lie that they were propagating? No? False apostle. All right, here's the next consequence. The next consequence is those Christians who have died, if there is no answer to the problem sin, then they are finished. There's no hope for people, Christians who have died. Okay, dead Christians are lost. What's the next consequence? The next consequence is 
All right, listen to that. What about live Christians? Well, live Christians, you've only got hope in this life, which is only 70, 80 years, all right? An average male lives in, in New Zealand is for about 82. Women live for about 84, 85. Okay, you've got only hope. So do a little mental arithmetic. What's your age? All right, take away 82. Well, well, well take it away from 82, all right? That's your average lifespan, how much of that is left. And what's going to happen? After that, you've got no, nothing to live for. If there is no resurrection, then, you see, the Apostle Paul goes on to say in the chapter, we might as well adopt a hedonistic lifestyle, eat, drink, and marry, for tomorrow we die, just live it up. If there's no hope beyond the grave, if there's no resurrection. Okay, and here's the final one, the seventh, seventh, seventh consequence. So, can you put on the say, right. labor, any work that you do for God, is the Apostle Paul mentions about that, then it's of only value, it's only of any value in this life. There's no reward in the future, it's only good on, on this life. Not much incentive to do any work for God. Right, now we're going to reverse it, because the Bible teaches us and we believe it. Christ rose from the dead, so we're going to take the seven points and put it the other way around. Dead people do rise, and Jesus is the proof of that. So the first thing is, Christ has risen. All right, so you can put that on the screen. Christ, Christ ha has been raised, and because Christ has been raised, here's the second consequence. Preaching the gospel is absolutely imperative. Can you say an amen to that? And brothers and sisters, I challenge you as I challenge myself. Remember when Jesus gave his great discourse on the end times in Matthew chapter 24, never forget verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all the nations for a witness and then the end will come. It's the clearest sign for the second coming of the Lord. And therefore, if ever there was a time to preach the gospel, it is now. Perhaps I should use the word share, uh, share the gospel because preaching we tend to associate with this. It's everybody's responsibility. Can you say amen to that? Every single Christian's responsibility without exception to share the good news. Because the gospel is so relevant. But you see, we will never share it with conviction or in a persistent way, because it's easy to get discouraged unless we have very strong convictions. Are you with me? The stronger your conviction, the more likely to share it. The weaker your conviction, the less likely you to share it. All right, so let's put it here. Preaching is essential. Following from that, believing is essential. The only way you can access the benefits that flows from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, only one way is faith. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. This is what makes Christianity different from all the religions of the world. They are based on works, on merit. I came from a Hindu background, I know all about it. Religions are based on what you do to, to sort of satisfy, satisfy God's demands. Christianity is not what we do, it's what He has done in Christ, and the only thing you can do is believe it. 
But it's not simply a mental ascent. It means to cling to it like a person hangs on to a lifesaver, a, you know, a, a rope that's cast to a drowning person. Cling with all his being. All right. So believing is essential. The next thing is the apostles are true witnesses. Hallelujah. What's the next thing? Let's go on to the next thing. Dead Christians are absolutely secure and we are going to see them. Can you say that? Hallelujah. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus said that. He's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. We'll identify, we'll be able to identify them. Of course, there'll be changes, transformation, but we do not lose our identity. I was raised up with a Hindu background, and they believe in reincarnation. When you die, you shed this body, you come back in another body. So if I was Mr. X today, I come back as Mr. Y tomorrow, and Z the following time, and the following time, what have I done? I've lost my identity. You don't lose your identity in God. Okay, so dead Christians are secure. Hope goes beyond the grave. Hallelujah. What else? It's not limited. It's that the work that you do for the Lord is absolutely essential. I want to finish up with the book of Korea. Listen to this, this verse. It stands on my table. It was given to me as a plaque. I commend this to you that you learn this voice. A verse is verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's bow our heads. If you're a person that doesn't know the Lord, my precious friend, would love to talk to you more, come to the leadership of the ch church, come to me, we're more than happy to share with you and, and tell you, perhaps give to you some literature, what you can read. We never can force our faith on you. We can most share, certainly share our faith with you. We ask you to examine the evidence for yourself. We'd help you to tell you what books to read, how to find that out. We'd love you to do that. Please come to us afterwards. My second challenge is to everyone that names the name of the Lord. If you are a Christian, would you please lift your hand up? Just lift your hand up and keep it lifted up. My brothers and sisters, I challenge you as I challenge myself. What will you do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you believe in this resurrection, then he is the first fruits your resurrection is absolutely guaranteed. Guaranteed. And if that's the best news in the world, are you going to just keep it to yourself? Or today I'm asking you for a fresh consecration to give yourself to the work of the Lord. Don't leave it to the leadership of the church. they only got a part of work to do. It's you. It's us. It's every one of us that have experienced the blessing that flows from his death and resurrection to make sure we're wholehearted, constantly making the sacrifice, investing in the kingdom of God, in the bank of heaven, for all the work that you do here, you will be rewarded. Could we all stand and give the Lord a great clap offering as we bring this service to a close. Wasn't that great? That was fantastic. Thank you so much, Rusick. 
That was absolutely amazing. He has been raised again.